welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. All right, I'm going to confess, this pre-show trivia stuff is getting a little more complicated. Some of the anecdotes that are included in the autobiographies are giving spoilers out, and I don't want to do that to anyone who's never seen the series before, like myself. And of course, there isn't a book that has a story about every single episode that was recorded. But the one main bit of trivia that did pop up right away without going too far into the episode was the episode is directed by Leo Penn. In addition to him having three famous kids, he participated in World War II, was an actor, and then eventually turned to directing. Those are, of course, the major highlights. There are more details, and I invite you to Google those. So pre-show trivia as well as compare and contrast with the source material at the end of our recap, um, again, will pop up when necessary, which means that the intro might just go a little bit quicker. And with that being said, let's start this recap. Today's episode is entitled Ma's Holiday and aired November 6, 1974, and was written by Dale Yoonsun and directed by Leo Penn. We start with an exterior shot of the creek, and there is a back-and-forth edit between a fawn and a barking jack. Inside, around the breakfast table, the topic of conversation is, Willie is a chatterbox in school, and he has now been talked to three days in a row, and one more, Miss Beetle is going to talk to Mrs. Olsen. Caroline is moving around the table, making sure everyone has everything they need for breakfast before she sits down. And when she does, she looks at the table and is rather confused because Charles and Mary are silently smiling at her. Laura is smiling at her too, but I just wanted to point out that she does have a milk mustache, starting a campaign way before its time. Again, if you were looking at a table and everyone was silently smiling at you, you wouldn't be suspicious at all. It's at that time Charles announces he has to head to Mankato for a few days. Just a man, some studs, and wood. I mean, horses and lumber. He says this in addition to, it's been a while since my wife has had a holiday. And Caroline is speechless. The last time we saw her perk up like this about a town, they were settling on the prairie of Kansas, just outside of Independence. The plan is that they will leave on Monday, aka today, and be back on Saturday. And it seems as though Mary wants to be in charge because she reassures Caroline that we'll be just fine. And of course, immediately I am thinking, leaving underage children alone on the prairie for almost a week? There's got to be some sort of laws against that. However, most of those laws were probably not written at this time. And as I'm having these thoughts, Caroline is also having the same thoughts. I just can't go trapsing off on the prairie with no supervision for my children. Charles suggests that they could ask Grace Snyder to watch the kids. And even before he gives Caroline a chance to argue this, he has already, in fact, asked her to do this, and she has accepted. Grace is a responsible woman. She's the postmistress. And so it's settled. They're going on a holiday. Not a Roman holiday. A Mankato holiday. We cut to Charles on a wagon, full of lumber, heading over to pick up Snyder, but it doesn't look like the same house, and unless we're at the back door. 
And after a few knocks, a sickly Snyder opens the door. And you almost want to stand back. Could this be COVID-7? COVID-9? It's actually a sore throat. Grace Snyder still wants to help out. However, her only suggestion is that they postpone this wagon trip. Charles says that he can't, unfortunately. He promised Olsen the stuff by Saturday. And, oh goodness. Grace Snyder delivers the line, I'm just sick about this. And yes, I'm rolling my eyes as I said that. She heads back inside and watches from the window as Charles rides away, having to come up with some sort of new idea or plan to make sure that Caroline gets this trip. And frantically waiting for him to show up, Caroline is going over all the things that she's trying to remember for the girls to do while she's gone. Keep the house clean. Do you know where the kerosene is at? Do you know how to skin the milk? Comb out your hair, brush it every night, say your prayers, feed the chickens, and gather the eggs. (gasps) Don't forget to also air the sheets. And that's just the stuff she tells us when she's on camera. Hearing the wagon approach, everyone rushes outside, and they all seem a little confused why Charles is there by himself. Caroline assumes that this turn of events is probably for the best, but everyone else seems a little disappointed. And while Charles and Caroline head inside, that's when opportunity knocks. Or I should say it whistles. Mr. Edwards is showing up out of the blue. The girls ambush him, and he has no idea what's happening, and neither could you, because they are just talking over each other over and over. And once he finally does get a clear idea of what is being asked of him, he asks the girls, Well, will you behave yourselves? Because I might be persuaded. Inside, Charles and Caroline are discussing things, and the girls run in with Mr. Edwards and announce that he is available to watch them. So Caroline can go to Mankato. And as we might expect... Charles and Caroline's reactions are complete opposites. Charles is absolutely excited and completely grateful, and Caroline is concerned and ambivalent. Aren't you working at the mill? Caroline's really trying to find any excuse to not go. Mr. Edwards lets us know that he's just laid off for the week, so it is convenient enough. And Charles? Charles proclaims, the Lord sent us this gift. She needs to be reassured that Mr. Edwards has no other plans However, she has no issue if it was three little boys. It almost sounds like the old Caroline is coming out. Laura professes, we can do anything that boys can. So it's midday Monday and they are heading to Mankato and their goal is to get there by sunset tomorrow. So, a trip from Mankato is at least an overnight trip. Finally, some clarity about that mystery and I just have one more thing I need to say. Go visit your mother, Bridget. Mr. Edwards says the only thing that he's going to need is just another shirt, and the girls can tag along to his place as he goes and retrieves that. So Caroline finally agrees, and she starts running through the list of things that the girls must remember, and this time she has now added, let Mr. Edwards light the candle and the fire. No playing with matches. And Charles, hearing this news, is all about going. He grabs a hold of Caroline and they are heading outside. It's your typical vacationing parent saying goodbye kind of scene. Little Carrie is being loud and crying because she's going to miss her mom. And Mr. Edwards takes her over and throws her up into the air and catches her. And Caroline is concerned about that. But Charles is like, we need to get going if we're ever going to leave. And I will just say, Mr. Edwards seems like a natural. He must miss his daughter. And speaking of which, I wonder if Caroline even knows about Mr. Edwards' past. 
Although the two of them discussed the whole faith aspect, Mr. Edwards didn't really discuss directly to her his history. As the wagon is heading away, Caroline's parting words are, watch out for rattlers in the grass, followed by, don't let Carrie go to the creek by herself. And Mary replies, we never do, Ma. Charles informs Caroline that Mankato is in front of them and she should look forward to it. And I have to say, they look cute in their wagon as they're riding away because they have matching tops. She has a pink bonnet and Charles is wearing his blush and bashful shirt and matching bottoms. Her full-length brown dress and Charles's brown pants. I bet he's the only one going commando, however. With their parents gone, the girls and Mr. Edwards are sitting down for dinner. And Mr. Edwards is telling a very dramatic story here. He's apparently pinned underneath a log with no living soul for 50 miles. Mary is wide-eyed and Laura is on automatic. She is stuffing her face with green beans. They are transfixed by his story of survival. In relating the story, Mr. Edwards lets us know that in his possible final moments, he reached for some chawing tobacco. His words, not mine. I might as well be happy. And Laura then has to know, but you didn't die, did you? And Mary rolls her eyes without actually rolling her eyes. And Laura's response to this is, people come back to life all the time in the Bible. Mr. Edwards continues that he was there for a few days and one day he had a dream that some Native Americans came and lifted the log off of him. He actually calls them savages, though. And by freeing him from this entrapment, they make him an honorary tribe member and he gets a moniker, Sitting Bull. And there's an eye roll from me because, of course, yeah, we all know he's just stolen this identity. Carrie breaks the rules by feeding Jack from the table, and apparently she is not hungry because she doesn't even want to eat. And Mr. Edwards tries to spoon feed her, and it doesn't work, so he has Laura try, and Laura makes Carrie hold that spoon herself, and Carrie then decides to put the food on Mr. Edwards' face. And this time, he pulls a red hanky from his right pocket. Now that the meal is complete, it's cleanup time, and the girls get up and get ready to do the dishes, and Mr. Edward says he'll also help out too, and he does this by feeding the scraps left over on Carrie's plate to Jack, directly off the plate. Mary is shocked by this, and Laura, I think Laura's confused. <laughs> I don't know if she sees humor in it. Once Jack is finished clearing the plate, Mr. Edwards takes the dish to the wash basin, gives it one wipe over, sets it on the counter, and says, it's good, before he heads outside to take care of feeding the cows hay and cleaning their stalls, which he refers to as man's work, which I'm pretty sure Caroline has done that already. Once Mr. Edwards is outside, Laura rushes over to that dish and she rewashes it. She, she's at it for a little while. She refuses to give up. It's like she's trying to wash the image out of her head. And they both promise to never tell Caroline about this or Mr. Edwards will never be allowed to watch them. Continuing to wash the same plate, Laura asks Mary about this sitting bowl name and Mary spills the tea. Recently, she had just read about Sitting Bull in a newspaper that Pa had brought back from Mankato. Relaying parts of that story to Laura, Laura is shocked that Mr. Edwards would do those things. 
Then Laura has to be reminded that the sitting bowl that is in the newspaper is not actually Mr. Edwards and that Mr. Edwards was actually lying. Laura is shocked again. Mr. Edwards is a liar? Mary seems a little concerned and tries to draw some sort of parallel, saying, maybe there's lots of sitting bowls. There are plenty of Smiths and there are plenty of Hernandezes too. Later that evening, Carrie is put to bed and Mr. Edwards is claiming exhaustion and says it's bedtime for everyone. And the girls try as hard as they can to get some sort of a bedtime story out of him. And Mr. Edwards replies, no, 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 talk back there. It's bedtime. At which point the girls say, well, you need to listen to our prayers. And Mr. Edwards does inquire, do your parents do that? And they reply, yes, we have our prayers said, our goodnight kiss. And Mr. Edwards goes to blow out the candlelight, which transitions us to under the stars by the campfire. A fast asleep Caroline wakes up professing she forgot to, to talk about the egg care. It's slightly scandalous because we can see her bare arm and shoulder. And when Charles wakes up, he's in a shirt. Why? Is it something to do with not having two adults with bare shoulders under the covers on network television in the 70s? Because we've already had a bare-chested minor. Caroline just cannot turn her brain off in regards to her kids. And that's when Charles says, if you do not talk about the kids, I will get you a new bonnet. And she replies, bribery. And with Charles, he simply replies, it's a gift with conditions. And Caroline says, that's the same thing. And of course, we need to applaud that. Caroline is finally realizing that she might be ruining her first trip in years. And Charles says, they used to have time to talk about so many other things before the girls. And as I'm saying time, I am doing the air quotations. Regardless, Caroline continues to worry about her eggs. Speaking of eggs, a crying Carrie brings us back to the Ingalls house late at night. She has climbed into her high chair. She's apparently hungry. That's what happens when you put your food on somebody else's face, Carrie. Mr. Edward wakes up and sets to prepare some food for Carrie. And he tells her to put herself together as he's getting the meal ready. And the camera stays on him as he's going on about respecting reasonable meal hours. And the next thing we know, when he turns around, Carrie is gone. Mr. Edwards opens the front door and checks outside first. However, coming back inside, that's when he looks in Carrie's bed to find Carrie. And once again, Jack gets a second helping of food served directly from Carrie's plate. And the next morning, we are greeted with our first voiceover since the love of Johnny Johnson. All it explains is that they're late for school. It's the only voiceover in the episode, and that's all it does. And at the house, Mr. Edwards is playing Mr. Mom. He is washing those sheets and hanging them up. And Carrie is very easily taking them down. There's no clothespins on them yet. And they are put on the line pretty haphazardly. He eventually completes the laundry by tethering Carrie to a pole. And she's on a very short leash there. And even though they are hung pretty, once again, poorly, they are with clothespins this time. And FYI... 
Caroline called it because we now have a Rattler encounter. Jack barks the warning and Mr. Edwards makes Carrie freeze as he rushes forward with what could easily be described as a single barrel elephant rifle. This thing is huge and he obliterates the snake. Well, at least the snake's head because he becomes excited when he holds it up and realizes that it could possibly feed four. Back at the house, Mr. Edwards is stirring something over the fire and calls the girls down. And as they get up, they inhale what is in the air. They come on downstairs and investigate the meal. Carrie is sitting at the table making music with her new rattling toy. And Mr. Edwards calls it something. And he calls it Injun Stew. A la the Mark Twain pronunciation of that. As he continues to mix the stew, we cut to a fancy meal in Mankato. Steak, peas, and potatoes. Caroline has a lovely red bonnet on. It's fine dining for the Ingalls. Being waiting on, this could easily spoil them. And Charles proclaims, Caroline, you deserve to be spoiled. It's a very wonderful, playful moment between the two of them. And back at Chateau de Ingalls, Mary attempts the reptilian cuisine. She's a brave older sister. And she consumes the first bite and starts to cough. Is it too spicy? Is it the wrong herbs? Or maybe it's the fact that she didn't even chew that bite before swallowing it. I don't think she is aware of what kind of protein is in there. And Mr. Edwards encourages Laura to also try this delicious stew. And she does. A better job of chewing than Mary did. And Mr. Edwards proclaims that this is good for you. It's going to put hair on your chest. With one bite down, she then tries to hand one bite over to Jack, and even Jack is not having it. After dinner and cleanup, Carrie won't go to bed, and so the girl suggests that she has a book right to her. And Mr. Edwards replies, well, wouldn't that be spoiling her? But the girls reassure him that this is what Charles would be doing. And with Carrie in his lap, Mr. Edwards takes a spot on Charles's bed and is handed the book, The Three Bears. Now, Carrie is very particular about how this is read. Carrie wants it verbatim. No extra words at all. Just the ones in the book. And at that moment, Mr. Edwards hands the book over to Laura and invites her to read. You know, give her some practice there. It's pretty obvious that Mr. Edwards is unable to read. And as Laura continues to read the story of the three bears, Mr. Edwards falls asleep. We cut back to the Mankato Hotel, and a bare-chested Charles is watching a half-sleep Caroline all of a sudden sit up and try to attend to Carrie. He wakes her up and makes a joke about this is some second honeymoon. Caroline apologizes before she places her head back onto the pillow and falls asleep. It's not raining in Mankato, but it is raining back at Plum Creek, and Mr. Edwards is snoring. The girls are having a late-night conversation in bed regarding Mr. Edwards' inability to read, and that's when the lightning strikes and Laura sits up, we forgot the eggs, and they have to go gather them right now. And Laura professes they have to or they're going to go bad, and they can't sell bad eggs to the Olsons. And as they are dressing, getting ready to head outside in the rain, they go ahead and break another rule by lighting a match to light the lantern. But Laura is still focused on the task at hand. It's an emergency. We need light. Get that lantern lit. And the girls head outside, and these hens are offended by being woken up in the middle of the night by some hands reaching underneath them for their eggs. It's loud. 
And of course, Mr. Edwards wakes up and he thinks it's chicken thieves. And he grabs his rifle and loads it. Hello everyone and welcome to Plum Creek Cooking Hour. Today's recipe is a recipe for disaster. Ingredients are one late rainy night that is bound to obstruct your vision. Add two children who remember late night to gather eggs. And finally, add a loaded rifle carried by a wildcat from Tennessee. Place it all at the doorway for the perfect timing and bang, instant skylight. And this is what leads us to our little house moment. Mr. Edwards is really upset. He was carrying a loaded rifle. Things could have gone pretty bad. So he reprimands them for sneaking out in the middle of the night and for lighting the lantern and does give partial blame for the new house fixture that is overhead. And while all this conversation is going on, they are continuing to stand directly underneath the hole, continuing to get rained on. Mr. Edwards demonstrates that he is and can be a concerned parental figure as well at this point. Why didn't you just wake me up? He sends the girls up to the loft and picks up a bucket and places it underneath to catch the rain, which until it's a little more full, it's making a really irritating noise and nobody's going back to bed. There's an overhead shot looking through the hole as it zooms out and we cut to Caroline, who is in love with a lilac laced blue bonnet and the sales girl can't help but regard that it's totally fetching. She even makes Charles say, is this fetching? And Charles does admit it is rather fetching. So everyone agrees that this bonnet is totally fetch. Fetch already happened. And the sales girl continues, don't even get me starting on the ruching. Although the bonnet is lovely, Caroline calls it not practical. And at $2.50, it's a little out of her comfortable price range and Charles demands that she puts it back on. At this moment, a Mankato resident comes to the door and asks Jessie, the sales girl, if she has seen her kids, and if she does, to send them home. Jessie replies, and Caroline, being a concerned mother, hopes that those children do get home. And that's when Jessie spills the tea. These kids the woman is looking for are dead. For 15 years now, the house burnt down from a lightning strike and she and her husband weren't home. Sadly, Jessie just lost a sale. She mustn't be on commission. Back at Plum Creek, Mr. Edwards is mending the roof. And where's Carrie? Even with his bird's eye view from atop of the house and from his previous living loft space above the barn, he cannot find her. She's not even in the outhouse or inside the house. Well, at least not in plain sight. She crawls out from under the bed when he finally gives up and has a seat. As if tethering her to a pole wasn't enough, Mr. Edwards nails Carrie's dress to the roof so he can continue mending the house. And that is how the girls find their sister when they come home from school. This vacation is going every which way but right. Because instead of going to see a play that was described as hilarious from the man at the depot station, Caroline would rather go and attend a prayer meeting. You can pray anywhere, Caroline. Go see a play. However, heading to their seats, the play's title is finally revealed. It's called Abandoned Daughters. And this comedy is driving Caroline to tears. But I will say Charles definitely splurged because they have balcony seats. So they have a wonderful view of this play. 
Unfortunately, some of the dialogue is as followed. Your love is not enough. I cannot waste the best years of my life cooped up in a small house in the country. I must go to the city. Looking over at a crying Caroline, Charles gets up and escorts her out. And the final words spoken from the play, I cannot stay here any longer. Underneath a freshly fixed Ruth, Mr. Edwards proclaims that he's not going to lie about this, but he's not going to mention it either, unless it's brought up. And so we cut to a wagon, heading home a day early. Caroline inquires if Charles is slightly disappointed about heading home early on their second honeymoon, and he laughs, because no matter what, he shares the same anxiousness about getting home to his family. The one thing he is sorry about is that she didn't get the lovely bonnet. And from horses pulling a wagon to Mr. Edwards acting like Mr. Ed, he carries Carrie around on his back. And at that moment, Mary and Laura show up at home and also get on Mr. Edwards' back. And you can tell where this is going. His back acts up. He refuses the girls to go and fetch Dr. Baker. In saying that this has happened before, Laura inquires, what did he do last time? Mr. Edwards informs us that the last time this happened, he discussed a lot. And, and Laura's polite and says, well, we can go outside. But Mr. Edwards seems more concerned about the fact that he will not be able to make dinner. And the girls are more than anxious, of course, to handle that situation. They split the responsibilities. Mary takes charge of Carrie and doing the housework and food. And Laura has to do all the chores. And of course, she inquires, well, why do I have to do that? Upon saying that, Carrie tumbles down all the kitchenware that was on the shelves, getting a way to go, Mary, from Laura. Mr. Edwards needs to know, are you two this argumentative when your parents are here? No. Then stop it. One of the first chores is going to sell the eggs at the merchantile. And upon arrival, Mr. Olson is a little surprised that there's only nine eggs. Asking if she's going to spend the money there, Laura accepts the credit and says that Ma will do the shopping when she gets back tomorrow. At which point, Mr. Olson looks out the window and replies, but isn't that them? And Laura has an OMG moment and begs Mr. Olson to stall her parents. She has a two-plus-mile run ahead of her. Peering around the corner, just to make sure that there's some sort of distraction, Laura overhears Mr. Olson asking about the flower. And Charles says it's in the wagon, but it's at the bottom. Does, does he need it right now? Because he would rather take Caroline home first before he unloads. And Mr. Olson immediately says, Oh yeah, I have a customer who needs it right now. Sorry, Caroline. And at that moment... It's run, Laura, run. And FYI, that's a run, Lola, run reference and not a Forrest Gump reference. And from there, we have these cuts back and forth of the house being mended and cleaned and the parents coming home. Laundry is being gathered. Beds are being made. Sweeping is being done. Carrie is in clean clothes. Brooms are away. Done. And again, that's all intercut with wagon ride home. Lastly, Remember to act surprised, girls. And, oh boy, Mr. Edwards looks like he is suffering. And when the wagon finally pulls up, we get our usual, Welcome home, happy to see you. Did you miss us? Tell me everything that happened. 
There is a subtle eye glance exchange between the girls and Mr. Edwards as Caroline escorts the girls inside, and Charles comes around and says he knew this would be all right. Caroline thinks with her not around, the roof would have caved in. At which point, Mr. Edwards changes the conversation to, how is the trip? And Charles replies, uh, it was fine. It was a good second honeymoon. It's a good thing Mr. Edwards isn't a priest. Upon that, Charles invites Mr. Edwards into the house, and he declines. And with that, the gentlemen say goodbye, and Charles slaps him on the back, and even I wince from that. It's a long few moments as Mr. Edwards gathers himself and heads off screen. In fact, I timed it, and it's 25 seconds. That's a long 25 seconds. The end. That was not one of my more favorite episodes that I have seen so far, but it had its moments. Again, we have zero compare and contrast with the source material here, and we might just go ahead and retire that for the time being because Laura is still seven, eight. There might be one or two more things that pop up, but it's not likely. But thoughts that came from the show? Well, the number one thought, of course, was eating snakes. Now, I will have to say that my first introduction to eating snakes was probably not the best for two reasons. One, I was young, and two, it was rather graphic. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Now, albeit, um, all we really see in that scene, in addition to monkey brains, eyeball soup, um, is a snake being sliced open and its younglings popping out and people just going on that smorgasbord. So again, not the most ideal introduction to this idea of edible snakes. In our culture, what may seem taboo is totally normal in other parts of the world, which should go without saying. And I'm not a foodie, and I'm not one to experiment too much with new flavors, so I will just take most people's words on this in regards to snake consumption. But yes, in other parts of the world, snake is a delicacy. Some things to be aware about in eating snake is you can expect a lot of bones. It is less fat and fewer calories than a steak. It's rich in protein. However, it being pure muscle, you can expect a rather chewy texture. It is said that um, does resemble the flavor of fish and chicken, but really in regards to that, it's all about the seasoning and the herbs that you would use. Options of cooking, baked, sauteed, deep fried, there's a multitude of things out there. However, what I did not see was the uh, snake burger. And that one, you just might get me to eat because who doesn't love a tasty burger? And it is said to pair well with gator and or ostrich. And in regards to what snakes are edible, and the consensus on that was really any snake is edible. And just in the United States, there's over 100 different varieties of snakes. Talk about a 31 flavors and then some moment. But do take note that roughly 20 plus varieties of snakes in the U.S. are venomous. So if you do choose to go hunting, there are two major things to consider. Number one, you should know about endangered species laws because catching one is one thing, but then consuming, I'm pretty sure that part's illegal too. And number two, it's best to be able to identify the poisonous snakes in your area to better protect yourself. Again, the more you know. With the top four poisonous snakes in the U.S. being cottonmouth, 
coral, copperhead, and rattlesnake. It should go without saying, but I did come across a number of sites that said the first step into preparing your snake after catching it is to kill it, which again goes without saying. For those uh, do-it-yourselfers out there, be advised the head can still be aware once it has been severed from its body. The body can continue to twitch for almost an hour, and the heart can continue to pump for almost 30 minutes. And then I have to wonder, why is it the phrasing, like a chicken with its head cut off, more popular than a snake with its head cut off? That chicken may have legs, but it's not going to last almost an hour. Also, in regard to those snake heads, don't eat them. That's where the venom is located if you've managed to capture a venomous snake. Once prepared, the snake will store well in the freezer. However, if capturing and gutting and cleaning your own snake is not your thing, just to let you know, you can order snake meat online. It will most likely be rattlesnake or python, and you do get the option of boneless or bone included. Most of our information is gathered from the hikingmasteryandsurvivalmastery.com websites. I had mentioned before there were a few other websites that I had looked through about preparing snake meat and maybe one or two graphic videos that are also online. So just a little heads up out there if you're deciding to look up a little bit more on this topic. The play that Charles and Caroline go and try to watch, Abandoned Daughters, what's interesting to note, in addition to the dialogue that I had shared, there is more dialogue spoken. One of the voices of the daughters that was off screen did have a little familiar sound to it. And of course, watching till the end of the episode, there's no credit for this voice character. So um, I will admit to looking at another Little House on the Prairie website to find this little bit of information. And what I found was a, actually a very pleasant surprise. June Foray is the uncredited familiar voice and if you are not familiar with the name June Foray, you might be familiar with the name Natasha Fatel, maybe Magica Despel, Raggedy Ann, the original Cindy Lou Who, Jokey Smurf, and what about Granny from Looney Tunes, but my personal favorite, Rocket J Squirrel. I've been growing up with June Foray's voice for years. And by a funny twist of fate, I have discovered that June Foray's autobiography is entitled, Did You Grow Up With Me Too? I know what's next on my reading list. It's thanks to June Foray that there was the creation of the Annie Awards in 1972 regarding the excellence and achievements in the field of animation. The Annie Award itself is a gold-plated zoetrope. It's essentially the Oscars of animation. And speaking of Oscars, it is also thanks to June Foray that the Best Animation Feature Film category for the Oscars was established in 2001. An advocate for animation. All right, let's get down to reviewing this episode. So again, not one of my favorites so far. One of the big things that I didn't like was kind of seeing this regression of Caroline in regards to her attitude towards Mr. Edwards when he volunteers to watch the girls so they can head off to Mankato. I thought she already got over that hurdle. He brought you potatoes for Christmas. And it was kind of an ongoing joke where Caroline is enjoying herself in Mankato, but then something comes and completely distracts her and she's back home. 
It happened with the bonnet. It happened with the play. It didn't necessarily happen at dinner, but it happened one night in bed where she wanted to get up and take care of Carrie. Why can't circumstances just let Caroline enjoy herself on this second honeymoon? So I was just a little sad about that. And she can be a stay-at-home mom and totally be happy. But I want to see Caroline on vacation enjoying herself. We know she deserves it. And Mr. Edwards, we find out he can't read. And that's it. It doesn't even dawn on the girls that they can maybe start to teach him a letter or two. They have a slate at home. Bad cat, fat hat, mat, rat, sat. It's what Laura started with. And as quickly as this is brought up, it's completely forgotten by the lightning strike and the eggs. And sadly, we leave Mr. Edwards in pain as he walks off camera. Again, which took 25 seconds. Mr. Edwards is doing everyone a favor, but nobody bothers to help him out either at the end or with his reading. And a voiceover that wasn't needed and a really bad pun from Miss Snyder. All in all, not one of my more favorite episodes so far. In regards to this episode, Ma's Holiday, I'm going to give this episode four bonnets. Just four. Flat four. Nothing more. And again, those are my thoughts about this episode, and I would be interested to hear any of your thoughts about this. You can send an email to fromplumcreekwithlove at gmail.com. If you're listening to me on iTunes, you can rate and review me there. And with that, we close up another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez, and until next time, take care. Yeah.